music. Try this. You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Good evening and welcome to River Radio. It's seven o'clock and time for the Resident Football Show. Joining me tonight is our regular panel of Ben Green and Ed Tarleton. I'm Will Taylor, so let's kick off tonight's action. This week, Liverpool survivors scare in the Champions League and the top four race hots up. We'll also talk the relegation battle in the Premier League as Leeds fall into trouble and also discuss the Thames Valley as Wickham take on MK in the League One playoffs. All that and more to come on tonight's episode of Extra Time. Yes, good evening and welcome once again to River Raid, the River Radio Football Show Extra Time. Just a month remains of the season with so much still to be decided. There's of course plenty to talk about over the next hour or so. Joining me tonight, as I mentioned, are our regular panellists, Ben Green and Ed Tolton, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on tonight's topics as well. So remember, do get in touch. You can tweet us at River Radio Live or send an email to studio at river.radio. Ed, I'm not, I didn't quite recognise you when we came into the studio. I'm going to be completely honest. You're back with us after a, a, couple, of, a couple of weeks off. Just back from Spain as well, no less, That's you? correct, yes. I've been in Granada for the last few days. Uh, it was absolutely glorious. Weather was great. Uh, I didn't manage to get down to Granada's game against Celta Vigo, actually, which was disappointing. I looked at the table and they were 18th, and I thought, you know, maybe <laughs> that's going to be a tricky sell. They scored. They equalised in the very, very last minute. Wow. Um, you know, and it sent the whole stadium into absolute raptures. But it was great to be there and the other thing I was trying to do as well was constantly keep across what's been happening in the Premier League on my phone I was actually in the air last night so I wasn't able to see the Villarreal game until I landed and that was absolutely crazy one thing you'll like though is that I was flying and I I now these days at my age I have to dress for comfort most of the time if I'm going to be because I'm particularly on a budget airline I was sat like a contortionist for about three hours you are quite a tall fella as well right so but I was dressed in a full tracksuit I got off and I looked down and it was a full black Adidas tracksuit. I just looked like a referee, just an off, just an off-duty referee, just flying back, like you know, the VAR just flying back afterwards. People were giving me odd looks as well. I mean, I'm used to that, as you know, but. Yeah. But yeah, I looked down. I was like, "Oh, no. just without, just without even thinking." Absolutely nothing wrong with that, mate. We've all been, we've all had a stint as a ref in our time. Well, I certainly have. Anyway, uh, Ben, great to have you back as well, mate. Obviously, Wickham, you, you've called it all season. We've we've laughed at you sometimes. Wickham have made it into the playoffs after the weekend. I mean, we were just talking about this outside as well. We'll touch on this a little bit later, obviously. But it was almost a bit of an anticlimactic final weekend because um, because MK Dons had smashed Plymouth. Pretty much by half-time, that game was over, which meant it was pretty much decided, wasn't it? Yeah, evening, gents. Um, I, have to, I have to say, uh, look, I don't want to look like a genius, but I, I did say a couple of months back that Wickham would get in the playoffs. I think you were still in the playoffs at that point. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, you're right on Saturday. It was a strange one. You, you, you went to the game expecting some, something dramatic to happen, maybe a last-minute winner that gets you into the playoffs. Ultimately, it was over by half-time. Really, it was over by 20 minutes in. Um, I, I didn't have any connection in the ground, so to my 
my mum was actually texting me the goals. Um, and, and she, but it is a family affair, isn't it? When it comes down, yeah, when it yeah. comes down to like that part of the season, like everyone's involved and interested. Well, and, and she, you know, I believed her at three nil, but when she said four nil, now five nil. No, no, she's having a laugh now. You this up. can't be. This can't be true. But no, a great day for Wickham, and I'm so excited for the game tomorrow. So excited. Yeah. Well, I, if, like I said, we don't we don't want to spoil it too early, do we? Because we're going to get into that in due course. But obviously, there was lots of football as we mentioned going on earlier this week as well uh, but just like last night like Ed was mentioning which he, he didn't manage to catch unfortunately you're still going to be put on the spot for it mate I'm afraid there's no getting away from it um, but um, obviously it was it was all about Liverpool surviving what was quite a scare in the champions in the Champions League Champions. Well. that was very posh wasn't it in the Champions League um, against a Villarreal side who and I'm not I'm not going to name names or say anything but there was a certain pundit on a certain radio show somewhere and it's not us that's all I will say that also talk about sport who who said some pretty disgraceful things about Villarreal being very lucky to get where they got to um, and I think was made to look a, li- a little bit silly last night I'm not sure if you'd agree um, well I mean I think there were some some fairly reactive things that that he said um, for me that fundamentally didn't really didn't really stack up I mean if Villarreal were as much of a disgrace as as the individual in question implied then it doesn't stand to reason why Liverpool could only beat them 2-0 um, you know uh, to be fair I agree with certain elements goalkeeping wise I I think you could you could find Villarreal's goalkeeper wanting on a couple of the goals that were Definitely. conceded. Mm. Um, but as someone who supports in the Premier League, a club that can't realistically go and stand toe to toe with you know the league champions very often, although we did take four points off them this season. But <laughs> so to get them, realistically, get them every time Ed Tolton Bingo is getting better and better every Hashtag week. just saying, yeah. boys. Um, <laughs> but actually, you know, it is unrealistic, and, and ultimately, that was only half time at the end of, of ninety minutes at, at Anfield, and the whole thing for Villarreal was to still be in the tie and as we saw in the first half yesterday they very much were because they brought it back to to 2-2 on aggregate Um, so yeah I mean I I found them some some curious comments shall we say I've no doubt they kind of you know got a lot of traction on social media and what have you and and nonetheless you know as you say, maybe maybe made to look a, a, a little bit silly, but um, you know, credit to Villarreal for, for making a game of it in that second fixture because in the first they didn't bring a lot to the table. That much is clear. And I have to say that there was also a certain individual sat in this very room who Don't almost me to the other individual almost had egg on his face. Uh, <laughs> and I, I sent I sent Will a message last night, Ed, when when Villarreal went two 0 up <laughs> because Will famously. Uh, well, we, I hope he clipped it, but he famously said week. how much of an easy tie it would be for Liverpool. It was a walk in the park. I think he said that about Bayern Munich as well. When he, they he, he may have done. Sorry, he may I, have so done. what was the aggregate score yesterday, by the way? It was 5-2, wasn't it? I think. So let's just remember that, <laughs> yeah. fellas. All right. They did go through yeah. by three clear goals. So. I take it you mean Liverpool, not Bayern yeah. Munich, not of course. Bayern, so you oh, also yeah. predictable that going through against, are we, are we against back, around. Are we looking back weeks ago when there's so much exciting stuff to talk about? Oh, sorry. Sorry. We can't do that when it mugs you up, can we? Let's crack on. Of course, obviously, that that wasn't like 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 we said there was loads of stuff to, to get stuck into i mean Liverpool, they, they did muster an impressive fight back. Do you think that was sort of um exemplary of their spirit Ben, that that they managed to actually turn around and and sort it all out um you know when they needed to when when push came to shove yeah yeah and ultimately i think half time came at the, the complete wrong time for villarreal um if if you were a villarreal fan you you would have loved an early goal second half you know you had 45 minutes to win the game i think the break helped liverpool they couldn't play any worse in that second half villarreal probably gave it all they had in that first 45 and you could tell well i could tell anyway 5 minutes into that second half they were leggy and you knew it was a matter of time. I know Ed said the, the keeper, he, you know, he's got to do better for a couple of the goals. All three, you could argue. All three. Really. I mean, Fabinho straight for his legs, it kills them. That, you know, I just think ultimately 
the quality showed and it wasn't really surprising when you saw how, how tired Verao looked. Yeah, I, I've got to agree with that. I think when it comes down to the goalkeeper, I mean, where he's going for that Sadio Mane um, <laughs> goal to, to really to really kill the tie off for, for good that night, I'm not really I'm not really sure. I also felt he could have done better with um, with the cross that he kind of punched semi into his yeah. own net. Not not saying that that necessarily doesn't go in. I just felt he could have maybe made a, a bit more of a, a fist of it. Yeah. Pardon the expression, and actually maybe flip the ball over the bar. That didn't happen. And the circumstances, I, I always think balls going through through your legs when you're a goalkeeper is like the hardest possible place and it makes you look very silly but you can't possibly underestimate how hard that ball was hit he did make a fantastic save towards the end but I wouldn't be surprised to see Villarreal in possession of a, of a new goalkeeper left season as you say Liverpool couldn't realistically have played a lot worse but how much credit do you think Luis Diaz deserves because he really was, seemed to be the one in, in replacing Diogo Jota who mm. took that tie by the scruff of the neck for Liverpool and, and kind of dragged them back, back to the kind of levels that we are expecting to see from them every time they play yeah he was really impressive I felt when he came on he could be the difference he's a he's the most Liverpool striker I've ever seen isn't he <laughs> yes, you can tell whoever's in recruitment at Liverpool's doing a great job because he he fits the bill perfectly he's exactly what they need he's got pace he's got speed he's got a uh, strength he's, ten, he's tenacious as a well a bit of flair as well a bit of flair and, need, yeah. and, uh, okay maybe on the goal scoring front he hasn't quite shone yet but you don't need that at Liverpool look at Firmino look at how successful he's been for the last four or five mm. seasons and he's not a prolific 20 goal plus season striker so he fits the bill brilliantly I think he slots into the system well and, and what Liverpool do have now is options they have it off the bench if, if Diaz isn't playing well Jota comes on if Mano isn't playing Mano isn't playing well Firmino can come on or even Origi can come on so yeah. it's options now and I think that's that's crucial for them absolutely is and I mean it's uh, all I will say is it wouldn't be a hot topic section at all would it without our good friend Tom Pickering from Very Biased Opinions who's on the line now Tom I'll, I'll come straight to you mate on this one I mean how impressive was it that Liverpool came back from from the brink of, of facing extra time and penalties and, and not making it to Paris at all last night. Yeah, they were they were absolutely brilliant. And um, I think you boys have just touched on that, but Luis Diaz deserves so much credit. He came on and just gave them that little bit of impetus, that little bit of skill and trickery and aggression and just kept the team driving forward. And, they, you know, deserved finalists. And I'm really excited to see whether it's City or Real to get them in that final because it's going to be a, a great match. So much to see tonight. That that in itself, we, we could spend hours and hours talking about, couldn't we? Um, uh, j- just on Liverpool, though, they'll now be one of the, the first team ever to play every single game possible in a season. Regardless of whether or not they just leave it with the League Cup, which I, I just get the feeling that that's not going to be the case. How much of an achievement is it to, to reach all the finals that they have done in, in with with relative ease as well in terms of, I know last night was a bit of a scare, they'd end up winning the game. They, they, didn't re- they were 3-0 up against Manchester City in the FA Cup, of course. Didn't really face any huge problems on the way to the Carabao Cup final, very much still in the title race. Just how, just how exemplary of them is that? And I know it's hard to say as a, as a Man United fan. <laughs> it's uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm biting down any joke sarcastic <laughs> comments it's it is it's the ease with which they've done it it's not like they're in a series of finals and they're lucky for where they've gotten to they well deserve to be in the thick of the Premier League race they deserve a League Cup final uh, they deserve the FA Cup final they deserve the champion it's just they look so good and I, I enjoyed them making hard work of last night because it showed they were truly fallible and. 
as a Man United fan, you know, maybe we'll catch him in the next decade or so. But <laughs> that's, yeah, that's great that's, achievement on their part. <laughs> that's Tom, very ambitious, Tom. But Tom, looking at looking at <laughs> what happened last night and that that opening forty five minutes, because we've been so used, you know, to to not ever really being able to say about a Liverpool side didn't didn't really play that well today. Because often, you know, it's an old cliche, isn't it, that you know good teams win when they're not playing well. But we haven't even had that to look at this season with Liverpool because they played well in just about every single game I can remember. In a is that the kind of warning sign that Jurgen Klopp do you think will be looking to you know kind of turn to his advantage and say look you know I know that these are in a big six games but we can't take our foot off the pedal yeah 100% I think you need you need that gut check moment that mm-hmm. moment where you remember that you haven't just been coasting through match after match and there is a, a challenge but there were signs in that game in the first half that yeah Liverpool weren't great and we all want to talk about how great Villarreal were and Liverpool weren't at the races but you know, they, they did hit the top of the crossbar with a shot that was deemed to, they won the ball from a foul. But that side, I think they needed this. They came back, they win 3-2. And, and the bits between their teeth, the final couple matches of the season, isn't it? It really is. Just just, just before we, we sort of finish on, on exactly Liverpool, just wanted to ask you, you know, Put it, put it to everyone sort of thing. Do you think, we, we just touched on the fact they're going to play this many games, which is unprecedented for any side. Is there a worry, do you think, for Klopp and his side that these games could start to catch up on them eventually? In that when these finals roll around, these, like, these players have played more games than anyone else this season and, and their legs could start to go and all that sort of thing. I think it's a bit of a hypothetical question because we don't even know the answer to that once we've seen the final. Yeah. If Liverpool win a final, we're not going to say, oh, they look leggy, they look mm. knackered. I think it's an excuse that we can come out with afterwards and you've seen pundits do it before where they say oh this team's had a long season at West Ham for example they've fallen away a little bit because of the lack of players in their squad Uh, ultimately I think when you've got a team that good and a squad that good it shouldn't matter and when it comes to one single game you should be able to get yourself up for that game no matter whether you're you're 60% fitness or not I think you have to ask as well, you know, would they have had it another way? Because if you'd said to them listen, in order, you know, to do the quadruple you'll have to play this many games I don't think you could have asked a player, a manager in any squad, you know, who who wouldn't have gone, yeah, all right then. You know, if that's what's on the table, realistically, you will do whatever is put in front of you. And the fact that there is a team potentially who could do that is honestly you, you could you could do a whole you could do a whole program on just what an achievement that is i think we might have to if they do do it to be completely honest with you um obviously the other game in the championship we'll touch on briefly um because that's happening this evening city take on real madrid tom it's, it's a really big game at the burnabout obviously but city still have a job to do don't they to keep real madrid at bay and, and make sure they go through with liverpool to the final oh my giddy aunt what <laughs> did we see a week ago and what a great match we had have in store for us tonight i mean the first 20 minutes of that game a week ago it's just like you know city are going to win the champions league oh my god they're the greatest side to ever play football and then the nerves crept in it's 2-1 it's 3-1 it's 3-2 it's 4-2 it's it i'm so excited and you you know this is how city play football they've done against liverpool all season it they you know they're gonna attack ruthlessly they're gonna have these little openings and They've proven that they do have nerves and that they do suffer from nerves. And I just can't wait to see them in the Bernabeu, which is just a cauldron. And, I mean, I, I, I hope it's a City-Liverpool final because the two of them have served up so many great games. But I think we're in store for a real classic this evening. Tom, I'm going to put it out there to you because Liverpool are, are already in the final. That much we know. But there are two great teams on offer tonight, as you say, it really is, particularly in light of what was served up last week, just a mouth-watering fixture. But if you have to answer on the spot, who's joining Liverpool? Man City. 
Okay, well, fair enough. Ed, what about you? <laughs> I'm going to be controversial. I think Real Madrid. Manchester. Just going to make a noise. I'm going. Keep that up. Keep yeah. that yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think Man City for me. I, okay, I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll, pro- I'll pro- I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stick my neck out of bed. I'm gonna go Real Madrid. Let's go Real Madrid. There you go, mate. Um, I mean, t- certainly it'll be a fascinating game tonight, won't it? And it's uh, it's not just in the Champions League that the drama's hotting up, is it? As the race between two North London sides to get into it this season hots up in the Premier League as well. Four games left and each other to play. Arsenal remain two points ahead of Spurs, but with a significantly worse goal difference in that race for that fourth position in the Premier League. Tom, coming to you first. Looking at the run-in obviously it's 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 really getting to squeaky bum time now I think isn't it um, Spurs face a really tough game before next week's clash Arsenal play Leeds how important is it for Arsenal to extend that gap um, and, and their claim for the top four this weekend yeah we we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago when Arsenal lost that match and we said you know is this is this you know that line in the sand again where Arsenal fail and, and we we all agreed that it's how they push on from here. They've been winning games. They've reclaimed that fourth state, but they can't lose a game. They're in the exact same boat as City and Liverpool for the title. They're in that exact same boat for fourth place. I think if they lose one or two more games or even draw one, they could find themselves on the outside looking in and Conte manages a great Spurs side and you feel like they can push on for the end of the season. It's just, it, the Premier League's great this year, isn't it? It really is. It really is. To have this game so late in the season as well, Ben, is, is almost unprecedented, isn't it? Just how big is that in a couple of weeks? Yes, yeah, it's, it's absolutely massive. And I also really want that playoff game that you <laughs> mentioned last yeah. week. It's looking incredible. Can, can you imagine the thought of a one-off <laughs> game between the two sides? No, it's a huge game. We always sit here, don't we? We say, oh, this game's deciding the title. This game's deciding who's staying up. But at this stage of the season, this really could decide who gets that fourth space because both teams may win their final two games and goal difference may not come into it. So, uh, yeah, I, I think for me, this is a, a top four decider. Yeah, I'm curious, who, who do you think has got the tougher run in here? Because I'm looking at the two sets of fixtures, only four games to go. Arsenal face Leeds United, who, as we said in the menu, have been dragged potentially back into relegation contention when I think a lot of us had sort of partialed them yeah. out. They then, of course, go to the uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to face Spurs. They then got Newcastle, at St James's Park, and that's not an easy game anymore. That much is clear. And then Everton is their final game at home. Now, Frank Lampard, in his away games uh, for Everton, hasn't exactly set the world alight, has he? But nonetheless, if it came down to, to that game for Everton to stay up, they would be fighting tooth and nail. So for me, actually, whilst... Tottenham have got to go to Liverpool, which is a very difficult game. And then, of course, they've got Arsenal. They've got home advantage against Arsenal. They've then got Burnley and Norwich. Now, you can argue the same thing for, for Burnley, but neither of those two four looks, th- those two sets of four fixtures looks easy. But I would argue that Arsenal actually have the tougher run. The, the, the only thing with that, though, is in itself, though, is if, if Arsenal do go and beat Leeds this weekend, as they're expected to, Tottenham do lose to Liverpool, and then Arsenal go and beat Spurs as well, or, or even draw that game, they're still in the box seat where they maybe even can afford to draw a game out of the out of the two remaining, can't they? Like that Everton game or something like that. Is, is that's, the Burnley, why so, that's why it's so fascinating. The, the Burnley game, is that at home or is it away? The Burnley game for Spurs is at home. So yeah, if that was away, I'd say that's an incredibly tough also, game. Also, I'm generally saying we could see Burnley almost safe by then, though. <laughs> like yeah. The way they're going, couldn't yeah. you? Like they're, they're looking in that sort of hot 
rich vein of form, aren't they? That it could be that simple. And that's and and that's what again makes it so fascinating. There's mm. so many elements involved in this because, of course, nobody would have backed Everton to beat Chelsea, even though they were at Goodison Park, and yet they did. Phenomenal performance from Jordan Pickford, but that's put them in the conversation to survive when it looked like actually Burnley inexplicably by sacking Sean Dyche may have have saved their own bacon, such as it is. Um, so it's a it's an incredibly tight uh, set of fixtures, and there's and something means everything everywhere for most of these teams now. Looking at these fixtures that are involved, Leeds relegation battle, Arsenal looking for top four, Tottenham looking for top four, you know Everton relegation battle, Burnley relegation battle. You know of the sides that are involved in the eight remaining fixtures that comprises the last four for Tottenham and for Arsenal. So much is at stake for more than just those two teams. It could go either way. Tom, what do you think on, on those run-ins? Do you see that as, as it favouring one side particularly or is it a, a fairly even kill, do you think? I think we all need to prepare ourselves for a very biased opinion here. But <laughs> my opinion on this is Spurs are always going to Spurs and they're going to find a way to mess this up despite all signs looking positive for them. Uh, yeah. That's it's just it just year on year just just bank on that death death taxes in Tottenham Hotspur isn't it I suppose <laughs> <laughs> Spurs to Spurs wow clip it up <laughs> but no I, I see what you're saying I mean it's not it's not the easiest run in for all of them let's say th- theoretically Tom you're right and Tottenham don't make it into that top four can, can you see Antonio Conte staying at the club because there's been several talks of his unrest there and pa- you know perhaps sort of allegedly submitting an idea to PSG about managing them if they decide to not stick with Mauricio Pochettino I mean can you see him staying at Spurs if they're not in the Champions League next year I don't think I'm the only football fan that saw Antonio Conte come into Spurs and went I'm sorry what and then reread the article four different times just to double check that that's what had actually happened it was it, it seemed like an odd signing at the time it's definitely paid off another piece of uh Levy magic where he's brought someone in that you never thought would be managing Spurs and they've done really well and they've showed so much more solidity under him but he is not a, a quiet footballing personality. He makes huge demands on his team, huge demands on his club. And I think the only way he would stay there if they don't qualify in fourth is with hundreds of millions of pounds of investment because it's hard to look at that team and not think they're over overachieving with him as manager. And yeah, I, he's probably not there next year if they're not top four. What do you reckon, Ed? Is that a fair comment? I, I 100% agree with Tom on that one. I think that there is a chance realistically that Conte would stick around, but it will be very much on his terms. And you have to remember that Daniel Levy, the, the, you know, we're talking not very long ago, you know, less than 12 months ago, Daniel Levy made an appointment of Spurs manager and it was Nuno Espirito Santo. That did not go terribly well. And that came after several people were linked and they couldn't get any of them over the line. I'm not sure how much credit Daniel Levy has in the bank, realistically, to not give in to, to what Antonio Conte wants. Because, as Tom says, he puts a lot of demands in on his clubs. But, you know, his track record is one of success if you give him what he wants. Now, realistically, I don't know to what extent Daniel Levy is able to turn to Antonio Conte says, well, and say, well, I'm not going to give you this. I'm going to give you, you know, some of what you asked for. Because, realistically, everyone's going to know... If Antonio Conte walks out why he's done it is because he wasn't getting what he wants and if you look at the players he, he did manage to get over the line in, in January you know they've both been pretty successful Kulisevsky's been absolutely fantastic Superb, yeah. but realistically I don't know how many of those Spurs 
players he would want in his starting eleven next season. And if he does want quite a few to come in, then that's going to cost money. And that's something that Spurs pretty notoriously aren't willing to part with lightly. And this this is the Antonio, Antonio Conte that walked away from Inter Milan after just winning the title with with quite a formidable team as well, isn't it? So it wouldn't be a shock to see him do it. I mean, but if if he if he is to go, bet it's it's not just a case of that. Is the only that's the only ramification of it because Harry Kane was very unsettled before Antonio Conte walked in, wasn't he? He was very much of the opinion it looked like he was going to pull out all the stops to leave probably this summer coming, but he, he since seemed to have settled a bit. If he leaves, Conte leaves, could we see Kane following suit as well? I don't think Kane would be the only one. I think the, the, the two players Ed mentioned who came in January definitely came because Antonio Conte wanted them to come. Would they follow him? I mean, there's going to be a managerial merry-go-round, isn't there, in the summer? There's talks about PSG looking for a change. Ajax position is going to be up for a, for a new manager. So I think you're going to see managers going here, there and everywhere. I think if you're Conte and you don't get top four, of course you're going to be looking. You're, you're one of the most highly regarded managers in the, in the world. So... If PSG came came knocking, I, I think he's going to take it, isn't he, with open arms? Yeah, and it's it's a it's a you know how how much acclaim would you get as a manager if you walked into PSG and finally got them the sex, success that they wanted as a result? It's success that's eluded yeah. them in terms of a European trophy, anyway. So it's it's an appealing job for him to take on as well, isn't it? Yeah, and you've seen it's not easy for PSG to to win the Champions League. They've been trying for how long now? I thought that Pochettino going in would would get them over the line, but it hasn't really worked. Right. He doesn't seem to have been able to change the mentality you've got players there that are, are big egos and they're not necessarily gelling I don't think Messi's working Neymar the, the whole situation there for me isn't working so someone coming in there is, is just as much as big of a job as Spurs is in a different way you've yeah. got different expectations and winning the Champions League for me even with the money that PSG have would be an incredible achievement and surely something that he'd be enticed to do yeah, I, I, I think that's that's a very fair comment to make indeed. I mean, Ed, for yourself, is it? Do, do you see it being a tough one where Harry Kane just exclusively might not actually be at the club at the summer? Or do you think it's one of those things that we just keep seeing rolling on and rolling on? You know what? I honestly can't tell you. And I'm thinking, I'm turning this one over in my head and it is a really fascinating dynamic because if your manager goes, then the thing you really want, what's the biggest draw for the kind of manager you want to come in and maybe get Spurs back into the top four? Well, it's probably having Hugh Minson and Harry Kane still on the books. And Daniel Levy has made it quite clear that he's not necessarily going to play ball if Harry Kane wants to leave. As we saw in the summer, Kane made it fairly clear that he wanted to go and, and Daniel Levy was not was not going to be uh, forced into making that kind of that that kind of move if he felt it was going to affect the club. Now, realistically, um, that could cause a, a, a big rift and a big problem. I and mean, there were, you know, some people were thinking that Harry Kane might even go and do a Pierre Van Hoydonk and effectively go on strike. That seemed to be what some were suggesting he might he might have to do. <laughs> um, so, you know, the other the other part of that, if you flip it round, of course, is that if Harry Kane were to go, who's got the money to pay for him, and how much is he going? Going to cost, particularly after coronavirus, how much money a club's going to really want to throw around? Um, and, and realistically, if we're to believe what is being reported, which is that, of course, the, the move for uh, Haaland for Manchester City is, is potentially almost a done deal now, um, you know, that was the obvious place. You know, who's going to go and take him? Potentially Manchester United, arguably. Would he want to go to Manchester United? What's Sideways, the appeal of going yeah. to Manchester United yeah. right now in light of what's happened? Hi, Tom, could have. 
Plug you along. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a really curious one, that one. I honestly couldn't tell you what's going to happen there. But the big thing is, for me, and I think the Spurs fans, realistically, if you were to ask a Spurs fan in the street, do you want Antonio Conte to stay? Um, Antonio Conte to stay, then, then I think the answer would unequivocally be yes. Um, and to be honest with you, I, I think that is their best bet possible of getting into the top four, not only this season, but if they can't do it this season, then next season. Because ultimately... Spurs are starting to fall behind and I think we're falling into an era where we've got a very, very discernible top two once again and those top two are without question Liverpool and Manchester City. Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, it's it's interesting to see how that how it will unfold because those two don't look like being broken anytime soon, do they? And it's sort of been that way for, for a couple of years now, hasn't it really? I mean, at that at very least anyway. Moving on slightly, it is Arsenal, like we said, that face relegation threat in Leeds this weekend after another crazy set of results saw Leeds become one of the favourites to now be relegated to the championship in just their second season back in the top flight I'll come to you on first on this one Ed purely because we saw Leeds play Palace last Monday didn't we went to, we did went to Selhurst Park and I, about half an hour in this is genuinely true I, le- I leant over to Ed and I just said there is not one good player in this Leeds team there genuinely isn't and I was I was I've been sat there for half an hour watching it and I was just thinking like they're all like they've got a couple of nearly players that are young and potentially will like rise to that level. But I was I was genuinely sat there thinking this is not a team that would fill me with confidence in a relegation battle whatsoever. And they were just average that day, weren't they? I can confirm first and foremost that did happen. Yeah. <laughs> he, did, he did lean over to me and say that the one the one player I think in that starting Leeds eleven from that particular game as a Palace fan that I would have been interested in having in in our team that night would have been Calvin Phillips because yeah. we know what he's capable yeah. of and the heights he has reached with England and, and he's only 25 but I do think that yeah you looked at that team on paper and all of a sudden it did not fill me either as a team with confidence where you sit there and go yeah that, that team should have enough that 11 will have enough obviously we've talked about these phenomenal fitness levels that Marcello Bielsa installed and the tactics he played that kind of bamboozled teams particularly in the first season where of course they were not under the pressure of playing in front of their home fans and I think in a sense that if anything slightly relieved the pressure for, for Leeds because Ellen Road is a tremendous place to play your football but it is a very very demanding crowd in a sense a bit like playing your football at Goodison Park actually I would liken the two very much so um, to be totally honest with you yeah I look at that team and I've got to be honest I am I am concerned now because if Everton can continue to produce performances certainly at Goodison Park whereby they're getting the crowd behind them and they're picking up points um, I think it, it is looking very very hairy for Leeds indeed and I don't see where the redeeming features are particularly with Patrick Bamford not not playing, um, you know, the one who was getting the goals. Uh, obviously, any team is is as only as good as the injuries they can realistically yeah. avoid to a certain extent. It's only when you get into the realms of Liverpool and Manchester City that you're able to to maybe buck that trend. Um, but yeah, I, I would fear for them. I really would. Yeah, Tom, they naturally got that sort of new manager bounce, didn't they, with, with Jesse Marsh, who... Um, it's dangerously close to Ted Lasso. I'm not sure if anyone's seen that series, but, <laughs> and, but he's, he's a very—he he seems to have a very good understanding of the game, which is brilliant. But the, it's, it's purely the accent. But do you, do you think there was a case maybe where he came in, picked, picked up these good results, and certainly from from my perspective, anyway, I was very much of the opinion, right? That's it, that's it. Leeds will probably be okay now. Do you think that maybe s- sort of stepped into the dressing room after after what had been a, a really sort of positive time for the club after such a hard time of sacking Bielsa and and the Everton and Burnley's revival specifically? Specifically, might have taken Leeds a little bit by surprise. 
might take me a minute to formulate a response to this because Ed continues to attack both my club and the city I currently live in. And I'm now taking this very personally, Edward. You're, very you're, next, personally. you're next in the crosshairs. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think complacency definitely can set in. Um, been watching Leeds a lot, and they're just... They were so great last year. They were such an exciting attacking side, but you talk about them, this relegation battle that you were just talking about, and you're right. Watching them on TV, at least, none of them fill you with face. Their goalkeeper looks like he's at sea most of the time. And you feel like when they get a win, they have this incredible level of confidence, and it might go in two or three wins. But it, it, it's something, there's a bit of malaise in that dressing room. But I, I hate to blame the players, but they're they're probably not good enough for this level. When you look at Everton's team and you look at Leeds's team, You'd probably pick Everton, and that's what half a billion pounds worth of players will look like on paper. But, yeah, I, I think the dressing room, I don't know if they believe they can stay up. They're now only, what is it, two points clear of Everton with Everton's game in hand. Mm. It's going to be such a tough end of the year for them. Obviously, like we said, Jesse Marsh had that initial bounce, didn't he, and everything. But he has had a hell of a job to, to pick up the pieces of what was left by BL. So them conceding the most goals in a Premier League month in the shortest month of the year which is just an incredible stat. How they managed to... That stat in itself is impressive. In 28 days is even more impressive in a, in a, in a <laughs> horrific kind of way. Ben, if, if they are to go down or find themselves in this relegation zone in, in the next four games, does the buck ultimately stop with Marcelo Bielsa or, or does it fall onto Jesse Marsh for, for not picking up the team as he, as he perhaps should have done? I, th- I think it's too easy just to blame Bielsa. I know you've been critical of him in the past and you're not necessarily that impressed with his philosophy yeah. or his style of play, that sort of thing. But for me, you can't blame him for the, the squad he's assembled. Ultimately, that, that team got them promoted and they, they've been in the Premier League in their second season but, now. But they didn't strengthen, did they? They didn't strengthen, but, but do Leeds have the millions and millions of pounds like an Everton do to spend half, half, half a billion pounds? No, look, you can question certain players that have come in, but ultimately you can't change 11 players and, and really when they came up that team was always going to stay the same That they were the players that got them from the bottom of the championship way into the playoffs way into it was a three or four year period and it wasn't it didn't just start at Bielsa and a lot of those players had been there for that whole time and I think they did deserve that first season last year maybe it's come back to bite this year yeah I, I just sort of get the impression myself how, how I see it is that Bielsa was very much the architect of his own downfall at Leeds in that he, he had the summer where he kept them up there was obviously they took a few people by surprise when they came into the Premier League played some very very good attractive football people as as teams did with Sheffield United Chris Wilder very sort of they, they, they became more prepared to play against them and normally when that happens you need to be able to strengthen the team and improve it and that, that, that wasn't done yes they were unlucky with injuries I think there's there's no getting away from that Patrick Bamford and all that sort of thing were you know like, like we've mentioned but that you, you've still got to be able to have the depth in a league like the Premier League haven't you Tom? Yeah, a hundred percent. They they needed to make a couple more signings. I love Patrick Bamford. I think he's an awesome striker. But they have no plan B. They've got no one else up there. Guy scored twenty goals. I can see your face. Guy yeah, scored twenty goals in the donkey, Premier League. Like he's a donkey. But but they didn't they didn't bring in backup players anywhere. Even you know even Liverpool have always had Divock Origi sat behind Firmino, and neither of them score a lot of goals. But there was always someone else and. They failed to strengthen positions they needed. They needed probably another central defensive midfielder as well. And by not strengthening, they, at the end of the day, have shot themselves in the foot with trying to survive in this league. 
Yeah, I'll have, a, I'll have a touch of this question. Will's just gesticulated at me. First and foremost, Patrick Bamford, a donkey, yeah. branded by Will Taylor, who famously scored wow. no goals in the Premier League during well. his football career, which, as far as I'm aware, is still ongoing. Yeah. So, best of luck for the future, yeah. obviously. I've got a few but years left of it yet, man. Uh, life the old dog yet. That's, clip that up, is all I'm going to say. Clip that up. I think, yeah, I think you raise a good point about Bielsa and, and what I would say, clearly a phenomenal coach. And, and the one thing I found really, really revealing quite recently about Marcello Bielsa is the interview that Dan Dan James did, where he was talking about the scale and the level of detail that Bielsa's preparation went into. Now, notwithstanding the results, just looking at the preparation, the detail, how prepared he felt. If you think about the club he came from, and that was a surprise to Dan James. Yeah. For me, that is very, very revealing. And and anyone on the inside of the club will tell you that Marcello Bielsa's preparation, his coaching, is, is second to none. I think where, as you say, he was perhaps the architect of his own downfall, you do pick up injuries and the amount of injuries that Leeds United picked up was absolutely incredible. But what I think maybe was his shortcoming was that he did not manage the resources he had and basically sent out a group of players who pretty evidently, fairly quickly, were not able to play the style of football that he likes to play successfully and go and win games and kept on sending them out there to do that. And I think at some point you have to look at the way that your team is playing and think, actually, maybe we are going to have to adapt to the resources we have readily available for each Premier League game. And he wasn't going to do that. But to be fair, he wore his his colours very much on his sleeve with that one. And it was quite clear. And ultimately, when he went, it wasn't a surprise. I was actually at his final game against against Spurs. And and for the opening few minutes, he thought, OK, yeah, maybe we're going to see something a little bit different. And once Spurs scored once, they just unravelled so, so quickly. At the same time, I think if you look at Jesse Marsh's, uh, the results that he's picked up since he's been in, there was a, a loss against uh, against Leicester. There was a loss at home to Aston Villa, a 3-0 loss. That was a bad one. But it was actually win against Norwich, win away at Leeds United, draw with Southampton, win against Watford, draw with Crystal Palace. They then played Manchester City. Manchester City can beat anybody 4-0 in the Premier League. It's how you then manage those losses. But I can very much see it coming down to, and this is maybe just table politics, really, coming down to the last two games of the season for them. They've got Brighton at home and Brentford away. That's if you were to write off the Arsenal game away at the Emirates and playing Chelsea at home. Now, Chelsea went to Everton last week and lost. Chelsea actually have not been playing that well for some time. So it's a really curious one. I think Marcello Bielsa is a fantastic coach. As you say, I think he was probably the architect of his own downfall. But ultimately, he'll always go down as a legend at Leeds United. I've no doubt about that whatsoever. Um, Jesse Marsh, though, uh, has certainly got a job on his hands because, yeah, as you said to introduce this segment, it is squeaky bum time now. Yeah, it really is. I mean, Tom, they, how, how scary is it for, for a club like Leeds who who made so much of getting back to the Premier League and how much of a, an accomplishment it was for them to actually, like we said, if, if, if Everton do win their game in hand, be staring down the barrel of the Championship. Again, we know how hard that league is to get out. Admittedly, not this season. The two teams <laughs> that went down have just flown straight back up. But Leeds found it very, very tough the last time they went down and it won't be easy to get back up again. Um, you know, certainly with, with, no, with no Bielsa who, who did things in such an apparent way. So, I mean... How much of a genuine worry is it for Leeds that they could seriously be in trouble? I think it's real worry. You speak to the fans that, that I know, that I work with, and that they, they, they feel like they're going down. Their mentality is kind of that they're going down, and they, they live and breathe the club in this city. Like, it's everything on match day. You can feel it in town. And I think this, they're, they're really worried about what's going to happen, and that's probably making its way onto the pitch as well. And talk about the players maybe not having it in the uh, dressing room, but it's... 
it's tough. It's it's going to be a really tough end to the season for them. But you you look at Everton and we're all like, oh, Everton won against Chelsea, but you know they've also lost to Burnley and they've they've had a really poor run. All it takes is one win right now, and the entire league seems to flip up and down. So. It's, it's, it's exciting if you're not invested in any of these teams. And if you're invested in any of these teams, it's the worst roller coaster you've ever been on. Absolutely. I mean, that, 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 we, I don't think there's any summing up any better than that. Is that <laughs> I mean, it's, it's certainly going to make for a fascinating end to the season anyway, isn't it? As we, as we say, the relegation battle is hotting up about which team will go down to the championship. But last night, Saxon also saw uh, the championship decide its final two that are going up automatically. Um, an immediate return, but into division by Fulham, who were crowned the champions, scoring over 100 goals along the way with Alexander Mitrovic contributing 43 of those it's along the way ridiculous isn't it 43 goals by an individual it's just a, an incomprehensible amount of goals to score isn't it just just touching on this sort of generally speaking Tom do you think the fact that both of these sides have made it up with relative ease again because Bournemouth started the season absolutely flying and they last last night's game against not a couple of nights ago against Forest was such a big game because they were they were really struggling to to make sure just sort of cross that finish line. But how much does it say about the championship that two teams have come up straight again after going down? Yeah, I, I do think it's a, it's a little bit worrying for the championship that this has happened so easily. I mean, Dominic Solanke can't score a goal in the Premier League, and I think he's up to almost 30. Mitrovic has had two bites to the cherry now in the Premier League and never scored over like five goals in a season. But between the two of them, they have 70 plus goals. I mean, Man United would just like to score 70 goals in the season at this point. It's it's tough times. Um, and then you look at the rest of the, the championship table, and, you know, Sheffield United are up there. Huddersfield went down a couple of years ago. They're still sniffing around there. So you, the, the two possible surprise, you know, Luton's a surprise in the playoffs right now, but Forrest are the only other one. And it, it, it is showing that the divide's getting bigger and bigger. And Fulham spent $100 million when they went up last time. And all those players are basically still there. They spend $100 million again this time. And that's probably £250 million pounds of investment over three years. Not a single other club in that division is able to afford that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's also worth noting as well who went up last year. You know, Norwich and Watford went up with relative ease. And both of those sides are just Norwich, been relegated. Norwich won it an absolute canter, didn't they? Easy. easy. The, the entire season, Norwich never had to get out of second gear. Watford struggled a little bit because the whole managerial situation that goes on every single season at Watford. <laughs> Roy Hodgson <laughs> announced today, by the way, he won't be at the club irrespective of what happens. So they will be looking for a new manager. So is he retiring? Oh. It would look that way, yes. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Looks like he's going for a job in the Mafia. I don't know if you saw his glasses on the other day. You see? It's brilliant. But no, I, I, just I, disclaimer. That's uh, that's a personal opinion of Ben's. They're not necessarily <laughs> reflecting the opinion that here at River Radio. Just all alleged. Flow, flow that out there. But yeah, I, I think it is worrying for the championship. You, you've got teams coming up from potentially coming up from League One. Now, no, I know they're unbiased, but look at the, the finances that Wickham have competing against the likes of a Bournemouth or a Fulham. They, they can't. They physically can't. They, they, you won't have to now. They yeah. won't have to now, but you've got Watford and Norwich coming down. <laughs> you could have even, Everton even, coming down. Even it's, one of Everton, Leeds or Burnley. You, you, you can't compete with that. Either, are you? And, but how, how, do I mean, you, how do you deal with that? How do you overcome the parachute payments that relegated teams get? Because Therein well, lies the problem, doesn't you know. it? I mean, I've, I looked at this table a little bit earlier on in preparation for this conversation, and I can tell you that 20 of the teams in the Championship have at one point or another at least spent 
spent a season in the Premier League. But where it becomes a surprise is the last time that a club like Nottingham Forest did that was in 1997. So they've not been in receipt for a parachute payments for a long time and have even gone down to League One. Luton Town voted for the Premier League to happen, got relegated the season before it started and have never been in there and have gone bankrupt almost trying to get back in there at, at given points. Um, so it is a, a real curious one and there's been some real tales. But clubs do come up and, and, and stay up, don't they? So it is possible, but that divide... And as you say, when you've got a club like Watford and Norwich who've been up, then down, then up again, then down again, yeah, it will be difficult to see other clubs potentially compete with those two for the top two spots. You just you, t- you just touch on Luton in the playoffs, though, and, and you look at the game that Fulham used to confirm the league. It was 7-0 against Luton, and I know those games can happen, but I just don't get the impression that first in the Premier League would necessarily be third or fourth or fifth in the in the in the Premier League 7-0 I just do you know what I mean and that, that gap just seems to be a dip, unless it's Man City again, or Liverpool against Man United I suppose but that's a, a different story isn't it Tom but you know what I'm saying the, the gap even between teams <laughs> in the Championship is large in itself isn't it um, unreal the abuse I take why do I come on this program <laughs> don't know mate you're not invited <laughs> <laughs> an open Zoom Let's every week <laughs> It just at what point did Bournemouth become a big club? They're a huge <laughs> club now, and yet they can't. What is it? There's a max capacity of twelve thousand fans yeah, in there, but they are yeah, that, yeah. that that much further ahead of the competition, the championship. And you do you you reference a Wickham and you know Peterborough who went up last year, who were fantastic in League right, One, yeah. and they're now going down. But it's the the gap is clearly getting bigger, and it. It is a little bit boring, and you end up really rooting for a team like Luton to please make it up, just to have some fun. Because it was so good when Sheffield United even made it yeah. in for a year again. And even, I can't, I can't remember the year off the top of my head, but the year Blackpool made it up to the Premier League after you yeah, know massively brilliant. against the odds yeah. under under yeah. Holloway, twenty eleven. I think yeah, that roughly was. around that sort it's, of era, wasn't it? You guys might be the same. I'm quite a traditionalist in the in the teams that I like. I, you know, I, I'd love. A, the Sheffield teams to be in the Premier League. I'd love Forest to be in the Premier League. I think Derby should be should have been aiming for the Premier League. Forest, these be great these, to see, these it, big clubs. Well. I just I think it's a real shame that they're they're stuck in the lower leagues of English football. And and the problem is the only way they can really get out is is by mass investment. And that's how Bournemouth have got all their success. Eddie Howe did a great job, but they also were huge spenders in their the year they got promoted. They they, had, they spent a lot of money when they got promoted. So the only way you can actually physically get up and stay in the Premier League is if you do have big backers and, and that's, that's not an easy thing to come by is it no it's it's going to be an interesting one isn't it and I do think you know Nottingham Forest Steve Cooper what a job he has done at the job. helm of them and it, I would liken it dare I say to, to the job Ian Dowie did at, at Crystal Palace when he took them over I think they were maybe fourth bottom and we got we finished sixth in the playoffs and, and went up that year I mean Steve Cooper when when he took over from Chris Hewton Nottingham Forest were languishing in about 17th and and really not looking not looking like they were going to have a particularly noteworthy season at all he's been here before of course he got to the playoff final with Swansea last year they lost in the final to Brentford who have actually gone and held their own in the Premier League so you know maybe he can he can learn from that but like you guys I think I think it'd be great to see Forrest back in in the division and and it would be a really welcome a really welcome admission I'm not a big Bournemouth fan I do quite like Fulham um, but yeah I think there is a real dynamic to be talked about within the championship and those parachute payments because progressively the gaps are starting to get bigger just just on that it's really interesting though isn't it oh just just to you Tom as well that that Scott Parker made this decision to swap West to swap sort of London for for Bournemouth which seemed a bit precarious and it's only just paid off for him hasn't it if the way Fulham won the league 
it, it was weird to see him leave. He was Mr. Fulham, wasn't he? It felt like he left <laughs> Mr. under Mr. a cloud. Mr. Every London club, pretty much. <laughs> 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 West Ham, the Charlton, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I actually think he'd done a very good job at Fulham yeah. in the circumstances yeah, as well. I think Fulham had learned from their initial mistake where they went up with Slavisa Jakanovic, spent a lot of money, brought a lot of new players in, effectively didn't give those who'd been in the championship a real crack of the whip. And it, and it you know, what was it? Three managers in the season, back down again, tail between legs. I thought they actually played some good stuff. I've been a bit surprised, actually, the way that he's maybe struggled to to self-right when, when things maybe started to go off the boil a little bit for Bournemouth. Um, but great for him to, to get back up. But I don't think you can, you can realistically overlook the job that Marco Silva's done at, at Fulham as well, because... I think he was definitely interested in having another crack at a Premier League job. That yeah. probably wasn't on the table in light of what's happened with the three he's been in thus far. He will be up there on merit next season. It'll be really interesting to see if he can keep Fulham in the league because they've not been able to do that since they were relegated, you know, the first time after that big, long sort of 10, 12 year stay. Absolutely. Well, it's going to be, it's going to make for interesting view in the Premier League next season. And, and that gap, like we said, between the Championship and the Premier League, that is uh, joined to and then the uh, our hot topics section. Tom, thank you so much for joining us, mate. It's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure and never a chore. There we go. <laughs> Thomas Picker in there from, from Very Vised Opinions, very good friend of the show. Uh, big thanks to him for, for coming on. Obviously, as we mentioned, it was, uh, of course, Fulham and Bournemouth going up automatically. Nottingham Forest having to settle for a place, a place in the playoffs. We're going to talk about the playoffs next, though, just not the championship ones. It's Wickham in the League One. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Ooh. Well, now for some... Music, try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. You're listening to Extra Time on River Radio. We're fast approaching the back end of the show this evening, but of course, we couldn't finish without touching on the local football in the region. And with most seasons like Reading, Maidenhead, and even Oxford's pretty much all over, we're turning our attention to the team in the playoffs, Wickham Wanderers. Um, it's sort of definitely a week of highs in terms of, like we spoke of at the end of the show, at the start of the show, I should say, sorry, Wickham actually managing to get into the playoffs on the final day. Ben, in, like we said, slightly anticlimactic circumstances, but. Uh, a great achievement, especially after that sort of seven-game blip, which which really had you worried for a little while. Yeah, and and really, it was actually a great day. There was thousands of Wickham fans at the game. The terrace there was packed. You had inflatables. There was a massive inflatable hand, which was my favourite one, waving <laughs> at the Burton fans for the whole game. It, it felt I was like worried a, where you were going. With that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it felt like a party atmosphere. And, and yeah, okay, it could have been more exciting. And Sam Vosk scored a ninety-first minute winner to get that, us you in. You don't need that stretch. But really, you stretch, don't need yeah. it. And, and Wickham deserved that playoff space. I don't think it's fair to say that Plymouth bottled it because okay they did lose a few games and they did lose badly but Wickham were in incredible form for those last 10 games and, and they, they rightly deserve that sixth space. You, you actually needed to be as well didn't you? I mean are you slightly disappointed that you, that you did sort of squeeze into that last place based on the performance of the season do you think because you, like, you, like we mentioned there was talk you know earlier in this, this on this exact programme we were talking about Wickham challenging those top two for automatic promotion I know other teams had games in hand but so to only just squeeze in although you're happy you get in the playoffs regardless do you think maybe it could have been and should have been higher? Yeah, it's hard not to look at the, that seven-game period and think, what if Wickham only finished eight or nine points off, off second place? And really, when you look at the, over the course of the season, they they should have got those points. There's, there's games they've dropped uh, points where they're in a leading position. Who could forget the Cheltenham game? 5-5. I mean, it's my favourite to bring up that one. What on <laughs> earth happened in that game? I would never know, but... 
realistically, there's there's five other teams above us who probably all feel this. Well, at least three other teams that probably all feel the same way. You know, we're just a bunch, one of a bunch of clubs who could have got promoted automatically. It's very hard this season. I mean, I'm looking at this table here, and Wickham are the sixth place team to the final playoff spot. They've got 83 That's points. Ridiculous. In any other season, you can't help but feel that that would have been enough to get you maybe third in a, in a lot of campaigns potentially. Yeah. You know, so is it just a case? Do you think that it, that was just the way the season went? Looking at this, going down 92 points, 90 points, 89, 85, 84. How often would you have five clubs? who got above 83 points well it's funny you said that you wouldn't um I, I said to will last week that this stat that i went through on this uh, scores app i have of the league one table for the last 15 years i think back to 2004 ish you don't waste your evenings <laughs> no 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 yeah i've got what, what a life i've got but the, the most you've needed for the playoffs for for that all this time is 74 points that's wow. incredible and now 80, what did Plymouth get? 80 points? Plymouth got 80 points and, that's, and, and, that's and are well within their rights to feel very aggrieved that they yeah. did not get into... In fact, to go down to 74, you'd have to go down to 8th. Bolton got... 73 and they're in ninth position that's absolutely incredible so you know what a season it is and yet it's still not over is it of course Milton Keynes now are coming to Adams Park tomorrow evening you'll be there of course how are you feeling ahead of this one oh, I've been trying to work this week I've been trying to focus but every time I close my eyes all I can see is did your boss listen to this show yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well actually he's out on a golfing holiday in Portugal so I'm sure he doesn't care well but- <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, generally available on the app, on yeah. the DAB, on Alexa, on Spotify. You name after it. the show, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but, but no, it's it's a mixture of nerves. Obviously, you're you're nervous, but really, as a Wickham fan, you should be cherishing cherishing and, and reveling in these moments because you feel like your club is the one team you'd want to back. You know, I look at the odds, and I'm I know Wickham finished sixth, but it's incredible to me that they're the 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 least favourites to win this. You know, they've got a track record of doing it. They're the one team so you wouldn't want to play. To top six is superb. This it's year, been it's been it? good. You've beat we've beaten Sheffield Wednesday. We drew a Sunderland, um, and you had it, to be a form team to get that sixth spot exactly, as well. Which exactly. is why, if you look at playoffs, often the team that finished maybe fifth or sixth are the ones that go up because they've had to be in yeah. form. But I think what's so special, just from an objective perspective, as you say, is that Wickham have done this before, mm. but they did it in the absence of their fans, and to get into the championship for the very first time and not be able to share not only that victory with the supporters at Wembley but also not share any of that championship season with the supporters it does feel a little bit like poetic justice that the supporters will at least get those two games to cheer on the team and potentially send them back into the championship yeah and, and funny enough MK are the one team as a as a Wickham fan and maybe a neutral if you've been watching the league that you'd want Wickham to play uh, okay they've lost 1-0 on both occasions but they've been tight games I've always felt that going away to the Stadium of Light, going away to Hillsborough second leg would be an incredibly well, tough Hillsborough task. Hillsborough's completely sold out for the for the playoff semi-final. Which yeah. Is just, it's not a task any League One footballer would think they'd have to be put up against. And, and no. that's the thing, you look at those two stadiums, you know, we're talking 40,000 plus in the case of Sunderland, 39,000 I think for, for Sheffield Wednesday. I mean, that's an incredible number mm. of people to be coming out and supporting a local team, particularly in the third tier of English football. As you say, Ben, yeah, you don't really want to have to go to either of those places is potentially uh, for your second leg particularly if you've got a narrow lead because it is it is backs against the wall surely yeah and, and I look at the M, the MK away leg and you think God, if Wickham are 1-0 up or they have a goal advantage you can see them frustrating the crowd because the crowd there is, is not the same 
as a Sunderland or a Wednesday. It's just they don't get on the back. They don't put the inti- there's no intimidation factor. Obviously, the issue is it's such a big stadium because they don't fill it. There's gaps in the stands, and it's, it's hard for them to create an atmosphere. So, I mean, it's even like that game just before the end of the season. It was on the TV, wasn't it? Wednesday went to when they played MK Dons. Yeah. The only noise you could hear was from the tightly packed in Wednesday fans in the well, away end, wasn't it? And it's funny you say that about the away fans because MK Dons almost appears deliberately have only given Wickham two thousand tickets in the top tier. And 1,000 each in different corners of the tier. Yeah, you heard me right. The the away end is split in two. So they're not going to be sat all in one group of 2,000. It's going to be 1,000 in one corner, 1,000 in the other corner. That seems like a logistical nightmare, doesn't it? That doesn't make a lot of sense at all. It does, but maybe it's a a side that that know that the atmosphere isn't necessarily going to be intimidating. You you can't miss the chance to, we're the left side. You've got to get that in. That would be perfect. (laughs) It just just seems interesting to me. For me, it's clearly a tactic to try and stop any type of atmosphere from an away it would be hard and I'm uh, you know I wouldn't be surprised if there were another explanation given it would be hard to conclude potentially something something other than what you've just said potentially because obviously the the stakes that there are involved in the game and and MK have been down in in league one for for a little while now this feels like a great great chance they'll feel again agreed they missed out by one point on going up automatically and of course they were in that second spot behind Wigan Athletic with about three games to go so you know it's it's going to be a curious one and it'll be interesting from a neutral perspective to see if that has any bearing on what happens in that second leg looking at the first leg though to what extent do you feel you guys have got to really take advantage of of how small tight and and atmospheric Adams Park can be yeah yeah, it's a huge game Wickham have to get the first goal for me that is such an obvious thing to say but the way Wickham play if they get the first goal that they'll probably go and win the game and they could get two or three if they go one nil down now MK Dons as a, as a footballing side are really talented they've got some really good players we saw on the weekend Scott Twine four goals say, yeah, you look at Twine and think that's Either, he's playing championship football next year whether that's with MK Dons or not he he is that good four goals from, and he's a, he's a sort of a central midfielder slash attacker They've got talent all over the pitch. I think Wickham just have to, like you said, Ed, make it a nasty game. The fans have got to be on their back. They've got to almost drag the ball into the goal. We've seen it countless times at Adams Park when when the terrace gets going in the second half, that ball does tend to just find its way into the back of the net. And that's exactly what's got to happen. Seen it on on more than one occasion. And the other (laughs) thing I would say as well is that the one thing that Wickham certainly have is that kind of almost unbreakable team spirit and yeah. real, real leaders throughout the side. And, and you're looking on those on those guys to perform. And, you know, look, we've talked about it several times, Anthony Stewart in, in the final at Wembley. I know there were no fans there, but he was an absolute colossus at the back. And you look at the kind of names that Gareth Ainsworth has been relying on all season. You're Gareth McCleary's, you know, David Stockdale, you know, Akin Fenrell, what a swan song this would be for, for him at the very end of his career as well. Sam Vokes, what a signing he's proven to be. You know, I'm not saying he's gone and got you 25 goals, but stands up counted every single game really puts himself about as well so you know it's got the makings of a fantastic tie between two very different teams with with different philosophies I think so very excited ahead of this one yeah I mean one, one thing I just want to ask just before we wrap up as well how how in I, I, obviously I don't know if you if I'm sure you have seen this but there was a lot of stuff that was linking um, Gareth Ainsworth with the Blackburn job which was touted as his dream job after his sort of earlier career exploits he's played that speculation down which I know of course a lot of people say he was always going 
into and that sort of thing. But just before a game as crucial as this for Wickham, how good is it to see a manager actually come out and just stick stick that out and 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 put everyone at ease a little bit? Yeah, it's exactly what you want, and it's what you'd expect with Ainsworth. He's done it every single time. I think Wickham fans at this stage, when it, when he goes, he'll go, and we'll accept that. But you're not going to sit there and worry about it because if he wanted to go, he could have gone several years ago when Wickham were a struggling League One side or a promotion chasing League Two side. I think the fact that there's potentially championship football next year for Wickham is something that he'll, he'll be so focused on and, and driven to maybe right the wrong that he feels happened last year with a relegation. I, for me, if Wickham maybe don't go up, that could be something you'd look at in the summer. But for now, you just you can just tell he's, he's, he's 100% focused on, on these games. I think, you know, really the one thing that has come across to me ever since I've, I've kind of been following Wickham, I moved to the town maybe three years ago and I've always had a passing interest in what they're doing is that he strikes me as, a, as someone who kind of, if you like, he wears his faults on the outside, you know, and he has got real, real class. I'm not surprised at all to see him come out and do exactly the right thing in the circumstances he finds himself in. There are bigger fish to fry at the moment irrespective of what Gareth Ainsworth's future holds and let's face it you know it might well be that that we come to the end of the road for him at the end of the season he decides to move on but I'm 100% confident that Gareth Ainsworth's focus will be solely on what is in front of, of Wickham right now and he's always got the band to fall back on as well exactly there you go <laughs> I, think they, I think they were playing weren't they the other week I saw, I saw on Wickham letting people know yeah. that he, he was also doing that which is great to see but no I mean this is the whole thing man I'll, I'll push you for an answer as we come towards the end of the show are you getting past MK Dons to get to the playoff final at Wembley I believe we are and I, I, MK are a good side but you've, you've Wickham have lost them twice this year but only 1-0 they've been close games I think the away leg has a thing going on there I genuinely believe that the atmosphere will make a difference I think Wickham will win I've said to you all season if Wickham get in the playoffs they will win the playoffs and I'll stand by that let's, let's see if we can get a similar World Cup sort of prediction <laughs> who are you playing in the final as well then? Sheffield. France <laughs> <laughs> I think Sheffield Wednesday I and I, I hope it's well. Sheffield Wednesday because I, I, I Rather, I'd fancy Wickham to beat Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, right. Not, not quite for the reasons I was expecting, but more than fair. Ben, we wish you the very best of luck. Enjoy, try your best to enjoy the game on Thursday as well. I'm sure you will. I try. Yeah, I exactly. Try. It's been an absolute pleasure. Ed, thank you very much for joining me. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you very much. It's been great to be back on the show. And uh, yeah, obviously rolling on the end of the season. It's going to be a good one no matter where you look. A little bit less bronze last week, next week as well. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get off those 